Welcome to Fully Yours, a podcast about food, the sacred, and ordinary moments of extraordinary belonging. Hey, this is Christy. Hi there, this is Chloe. And we're super excited that you're joining us tonight because we are sitting together at a table eating some of the most amazing food. Chloe has made this awesome vegetable pasta. And let me just tell you, it's been a few weeks since I've had something green. So this is very, very welcome. Yeah, this is one of my favorites that some friends introduced me to. It has asparagus and leeks and all sorts of amazing stuff. But what I'm loving right now is that we're drinking it with some wine from the winery that Christy works at. And we're also eating it out of bowls that she happened to paint this last week as a form of just kind of some care for her creative self and to put in her car. So she just happened to pull them out for dinner right now. (laughs) Yeah, I picked up the dishes just this morning and was super excited by the way that they came out. I think table setting is super important when you're spending time with family and friends. And it means a lot to us. Um, One of my favorite experiences with this was when I worked with Simple Church, which is a farm-to-table dinner ministry that Chloe and I both worked at a couple of years ago, and we fell in love with this intersection of food and faith. Yeah, I remember that was really the first time that I got to know you so well. Um, We ended up every week spending hours together in the kitchen alongside alongside some really amazing co-workers. making bread and we're talking like bread with starter using our hands um, loaf after loaf and just the smell and the aroma was so amazing but what I loved even more was the conversations we'd have sometimes we just melt down into the floor (laughs) and just laugh listen to Backstreet Boys you name it (laughs) so tonight we are joined by Pastor Zach Kersey who started Simple Church in 2015 Zach graduated from Harvard Divinity School hey Zach Thanks for having me on, you guys. Good to talk to you. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. How are you? I'm well. Thanks so much. So it sounds like a lot of the church gatherings center around food, um, whether it be dinner or pancakes or pizza. Um, how? What do you see as, what brought you to that intersection between food and spirituality? And how do you see it playing out um, in Grafton specifically? Do you, do you think farming and eating locally um, is important to the, the very mission of Simple Church? Yeah, I do. I do. I think, I think there's something special that happens when you share a meal with someone. I think it um, kind of bridges the, the gap of difference between people because it's such a fundamental thing to do to um, sit down and eat with someone. And, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, who you voted for or, what kind of clothes you wear or how much money you got. Everybody's got to eat, you know, it's just a, an equalizer, grand equalizer of everybody. Everybody has to um, sit down a few times a day and let their guard down and, and eat some food. Um, and, uh, you know, the idea for it um, came while I was finishing up in seminary. I got um, a call from the congregational developer here in the New England annual conference of the United Methodist Church and they asked if I'd be interested in starting a church and I said yes and I interviewed and um, was told that I was going to be allowed to do it but I was just like 
dead scared because I had no idea what I would actually want to do. Um, and uh, for a few weeks there, I was really scratching my head, trying to decide like if I was looking for a church, what type of church would I want to go to? You know, um, where I would just like absolutely want to go and wouldn't be afraid to invite my friends and let them know that I'd gone and um, that wouldn't I wouldn't find it super boring or weird or awkward um, or just inauthentic to who I was. And uh, it just kind of hit me one day that um, my friends and I at Harvard Divinity School on most Thursdays would meet at each other's apartments and we just all slam in there. It'd be like 30 or 40 of us slamming into like a one, one bedroom apartment, just, um, you know, packed with potlucks. Um, we would do a potluck every Thursday and we would drink cheap wine and argue about theology. Um, and you know, I went to a, um, an interfaith school, so I'd be arguing about the nature of the Eucharist with my friend Duncan, who was Buddhist or, you know, talking to my Catholic friends about, um, you know, I don't know, the function of the sermon and a Methodist service, all these kind of things that we would just kind of go back and forth on. And we wouldn't agree ever. We always disagreed. Um, but it was like okay to disagree. Like we weren't trying to change each other's mind. We were just, um, yeah. you know, getting into it. We we're getting deep. And uh, I would always just leave those Thursday nights just completely just my heart was pounding. I was so excited. I would like skip home. Um, and it'd be like three o'clock in the morning. I'd still be staring at the ceiling because I just couldn't sleep. It was so exciting to me. And uh, Fridays, I was always a wreck because Thursdays were always so full and exciting. And um, I just remember, I do remember thinking at the time, you know, like, why doesn't church make me feel like this? Like, why, um, mm -hmm. why when I go to church, do I feel bored and want to check my phone or just, you know, why does my butt tell me that an hour is like the amount of time that I can sit in a pew? You know, why can't I like, you know, those, there's that pot, like six hours would fly by and it'd be like nothing, no time had passed. Yeah. So, um, it just kind of, kind of hit me that I was like, you know, the simplest form of church I think would be, um, you know, a potluck dinner. So I said, you know what, I'll call it simple church. We'll meet on Thursday nights and it'll be, um, around shared meals. And I had no idea when I got started um, that there was a bunch of other churches that were doing really similar things. There's uh, St. Lydia's in, in Brooklyn um, that, you know, was very much in the same, like, vein of thought. Um, there was um, Root and Branch in Chicago um, that was just super beautiful and how they r reached out to people who weren't traditionally people who were going to church. So... Um, that's where I really got the verbiage of dinner church. And I saw us as being part of this kind of broader movement. And now there's dozens of dinner churches across the U S um, and elsewhere that are meeting for worship in this way. Can you tell us a little bit about bread? You, the reason I bake bread now is because you taught me how, and it's something that, that seems to be so central to this idea of dinner um, at Simple Church and just the way that the the church um, operates and comes together, um, yeah. Can you t can you tell us how how that happened and and how that uh, works into your uh, theology too at Simple Church? Sure. Now, how long is this podcast? Because I could talk all day about bread. <laughs> um, Go for it. <laughs> bread is bread is so awesome. It's all right. So. When I visited St. Lydia's, this was about two weeks before we started, 
um, when I was telling people about Simple Church and what I was planning on doing, five or six different people were like, you got to check out St. Lydia's in Brooklyn. Like, this sounds like you guys are really on the same wavelength. And so I did. And this is probably early September of 2014. And I saw the way they did Eucharist. And what they did was they took the bread in the beginning of the worship service, and then they drank the wine at the end. So the whole service was bookended by the Eucharist. And I thought that was just so beautiful. And when you read the story, that's how it, how it goes. It's like before the supper started, Jesus took bread. And after the supper was done, he took the wine. And so uh, I knew pretty early on that, you know, Eucharist was going to be central to what we were doing. That was the kind of missing piece that St. Lydia's gave me when I was planning the church. And um, so I knew that bread was going to be important. And so I kind of just asked around on Facebook before we started, you know, does anybody know how to bake bread that could bring bread to the sink? Because I think it'd be really cool if we had homemade bread. And uh, a family friend who lived pretty nearby said, yeah, you know, I'll bake you some bread. And I was like, all right, heck yeah. So in the beginning, I was going around door to door just letting people know that we were going to get started. And I was talking up that bread. Like I was really... Like, you know, we got somebody who's going to make homemade bread. It's going to be hot bread. It's going to be steaming, delicious, fragrant, beautiful bread. And I was going on and on about it. And then, like, two days before we started, that family friend, her father passed away. And she messaged me, like, hey, I'm not going to be able to make it to the dinner. And, you know, I was, like, totally understanding, of course. But I've been talking about this bread like, like a mother. Like, I was telling everybody about it. So I literally just sat down at my computer and Googled like like how to make bread. And uh, and I was like, all right, you know, I can kind of I can figure this out. You know, it didn't look that that hard. And I found this Amish sweet bread recipe um, that had about a cup of sugar, it was all white flour, um, it had butter, milk. Like all these things that I would never use now, but it was it was pretty com- but it still looked pretty simple. Um, and I mixed it all up and I added some yeast, and it grew before my eyes within an hour. And I kind of kneaded like I'd seen in the cartoons and um, split the bread up and threw it in the oven. And I tasted it, and it was it was like really good. And it was so good that I brought it next door to the farmer and like had him taste it just so I could make sure that. I wasn't just biased because I'd made it. So, and he was like, yeah, it's all right. And I was like, oh man, he loves it too. I just knew. Like, I was like, this bread is awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, I just started baking bread every week. And um, if you do something for four hours a week, you know, you're, you're bound to get pretty good at it. Um, and pretty soon people started saying like, hey, you should sell this bread. And I was like, oh no, you know, we're never going to do that. But um, I had joined the farmer's market committee, it says like a a community member. And um, right around that time, we were about six months into the project and I realized that um, our initial grant money in the way that we were, we were going to need to start doing some fundraising and uh, uh, nothing crazy, just enough to keep the, the ship afloat. And while I was at this farmer's market meeting, uh, people were saying, you know, it's a real shame that our bread baker doesn't come anymore because every time they baked bread, they would sell out. 
And I was like, really? Like, uh, all right. Uh, so it kind of planted a seed in my brain. And I ended up getting an apprenticeship at a local sourdough bakery, um, working there, um, learning how to make bread in bulk and how to um, kind of improve my technique and um, really make bread that was worth selling at the farmer's market. And uh, we started selling bread and we've been doing it ever since. But it's it's a real simple thing. I mean, and I think, you know, in my own mind, like, I think it's, it's beautiful that we take the bread that we sell or the bread that we bake for Eucharist for the community um, and that we feed the the church every week um, is the same bread that we sell at the farmer's market and people see it as a way to support us. Um, they see themselves as like investing in our future. Um, and we actually get to feed actual people with actual bread that's healthy and good and made by hand. And um, we get to be their baker. It's pretty special. That's a, I think it's a really, um, it's a relationship that has potential to have really deep significance for people. Um, especially in kind of like a more fast food culture to have really slow, good handmade food. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, bread is bread in itself is amazing. And I realize now that, um, you know, wheat is grass. Like it starts out as just grass. Like it, it back in time, people found grass with the largest head of uh, seed on the end and they, you know, honed it and over thousands of years developed modern wheat. And like, you can take that grass and you can transform it into something that you can eat. Yeah. And that's, it's, it's a magic trick that you get to do every week. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and we love your bread. <laughs> and like Chloe, I too also now bake a lot more than I probably should. Um, but, you know, bread itself has a lot of theological significance, too. Um, what makes it so special at Simple Church? I think one of my favorite memories is us tearing open a loaf while it's still so hot that it burns our fingers as we passed around the circle. Right. Um, theologically, I mean, can you just go into sort of the Eucharistic characteristics of our bread that's been made from, from this grass, from this wheat that's yeah. been such an ancient grain? Yeah, I mean, the the metaphor that I kind of play with every week while we prepare to take the um, Eucharist together is that um, the ingredients in bread are diverse. So, I mean, like, you know, flour, which comes from grass, is like chalky and completely dry. Mm-hmm. And water is flowing and wet and it quenches your thirst. And salt, you know, it makes your mouth thirsty and yeast is like this living thing that we've harvested from the air it's like it's amazing um it's like a it's like a mega city of life in this one little ball of dough and it you know lives and breathes and dies and writes epic poetry and goes to war and falls in love and there's like cycles of life and death and rebirth that happen within this one little ball of dough and um you know you throw it into fire and the fire like transforms it and the yeast give one last dying little just and that that breath 
like puts these beautiful stretchy bubbles inside the bread and it gives it it makes it grow by like 30 percent just in the last few minutes and um and you can take that you know bit of grass and water and salt and you know like look at it and it's not it's not flour and water and salt anymore it's um you know it's something completely different and all those different ingredients are transformed um they become something different and you know if you try to sit down and eat a bowl full of flour you wouldn't be able to eat it you know it's it's only when you add the water and then you know if you ate flour and water it wouldn't taste very good you have to add the salt to give it some taste and then mm-hmm. you have to add the yeast to give it some um some complexity and it has to ferment so that your body can actually digest the stuff and um it gives it like that sweet nuttiness that that we all love and then you have to throw it in the fire without the fire you would just have this like you know batter of undigestible glob you know the fire like turns it into something completely else and um now, I, th- I think it's the same, like, with people who meet around our table. You know, they're very different people. People that, you know, I think it's it's miraculous that we all come together and we love each other, but we probably wouldn't be friends mm. otherwise because we're so different, mm. um, especially the way things are. Um, you know, I know there are people who are, you know, ideologically very different from me who meet across the table, um, but I think that God celebrates our differences and um, uses us to play off each other and meld and blend with one another. And, you know, like we, we literally say when we take the bread that, you know, this is the body of Christ and we recognize that, you know, we become the body of Christ when we, when we meet around the table. And, um, and I think that it's not like in spite of our differences, but it's only because of our differences that we're able to come together in communion like that. So Zach, tell us about some of the surprises that you've encountered along the way. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the I, I certainly didn't plan on starting a little mini bakery when we when we first started the church. That wasn't kind of on my radar. So that was definitely a surprise. Um, and we kind of fell into the idea of like the monastic funding model. But I think the most surprising thing has actually been that you know when i started it and i like the image of the church that i feel like i was given um and it really fell like right into my brain i had this image of you know candles and edison bulbs and you know eclectic um like kind of patchwork dishes and glassware and um you know i I saw how the lighting was going to be and i saw how many like like kind of the how the people were going to sit and like what the kind of mood was going to be like all that was very much like formed in my head before we ever started and it, it like today um, looks like it looked in my head when I was um, imagining what it could be um, but the thing that surprises me the most is I thought so if you ever if you ever like look me up online dear listener you'll see that I um, I'm kind of a stereotypical looking kind of hipstery kind of millennial. Um, and I, um, I think you guys will agree with that characterization of my looks. You do wear a beanie. I, I wear a beanie a lot. Lots, of, lots plaid. of lots of plaid. I, I 
I wear like big glasses. Anyway, I have a beard. Anyway, um, I, I kind of imagined a group of like 20 something hipsters in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I imagined. And that is not what we got. Um, like we have a broad range of ages, um, Mm -hmm. from our church grandmas who are awesome and they always have a kid in their lap to the kids who are running around and rolling around on the floor. Um, we have a lot of diversity of political opinion. We have a lot of people who didn't vote the way that I thought the makeup of the church was going to vote. Um, we have a lot of diversity in our theological makeup from, um, you know, I'm like a progressive Christian. And then we have people who are more evangelical Christians. So they're kind of far to the right. Um, we have people who are pro-choice. We have people who are pro-life and, you know, vocally so. Um, and then kind of like even farther out to the, like the far left of me, we have people who fall in that kind of spiritual but not religious or even, um, you know, uh, who practice other religions or other faiths or are just mm-hmm. um, spiritualists or naturalists. And um, it's, it's weird because I think that, um, you know, we tend to think of churches as being either progressive or, or conservative, but really like our churches is like kind of like a weird mix of all those things. And I think it's because we have this like kind of permission giving culture, like we're allowed to disagree with one another and still love each other at the end. Hmm. Um, but I mean, the, the other thing that we have for, um, um, you know, like diversity wise is we have a lot of, um, uh, we have a lot of people in our church who are on the autism spectrum. We have one family with five kids who are on the autism spectrum. And so we have a lot of like, kind of like neural diversity as well. Like, um, people, um, who come to the church are coming to it with different needs and the community has embraced them. And, um, you know, it's not a, we're making an accommodation for people who are differently able. It's like, you know, we're, we're all coming to this with like our true selves. And it's a really beautiful mix. Um, mm-hmm. like one thing that's happened since you guys have left is that we have, um, a lot of families with small kids. Um, and we had to really, rethink um how we did worship um because for a long time it um i was working under the assumption that the best worship was um blended you know like where the kids and the adults were all together all the time um but what really ended up happening was that everybody was really stressed out and uh we ended up putting together basically a, a children's church um program that's separate from the adults um, for a good bit of the of the worship service and ever since we kind of made that jump it's been a lot better uh, mm-hmm. as far as dinner churches go we're the only one that I've ever visited that has like about half the room under 12 um, so we've had to kind of uh, be creative about how we do children's ministry and that's um, you know that's where pancake church comes in which I th- I'm very excited about which is um, um, on Sunday morning and we meet in each other's houses um, and we have a pancake breakfast and it's only for families with small kids. Um, and we do um, education with the kids. We do an art project. We, um, you know, sing songs, we pray, we eat pancakes. And then the adults have a 
parenting support group um, and, you know, work with one another. Um, you know, how do, how do we raise kids, you know, following the gospel? What does that look like? And, um, you know, we don't advertise the location. We, um, it's almost like a speakeasy. Like you have to, you have to be mm-hmm. in to know where, where we meet and we change locations. So if someone finds out, they may not be able to find us <laughs> on any <laughs> given day. You have to know, you have to know to be in the know, uh, to find out where we're, where we're going to be meeting. And, um, and then, uh, you know, like, I think the thing that gets me jazzed about that is that it's like intentionally very boutique. Like we're trying to reach like one specific group and nobody else. And I think that hmm. that's the the future of the church that I'm really excited about. Like um, someone who identifies an underserved group, finds out what they need and then provides them exactly with that. And they don't try to make a church for everybody. They try to make a church for a small group of people. Um, and, um, you know, Peace Church is just a youth group. So it'd be weird if, you know, someone who didn't fit that description came. And I think I think it's uh, that's okay. You know, I think we tend to think of churches as being like one size fits all. And it doesn't have to be. You know, it can be one size fits 15 or one size fits 20 or one size fits 40, you know. Um, and then you patch all those groups together and you got a church. Yeah. Yeah. You've named so much right there. <laughs> um, because you're, you're naming two sides of the same coin, I think. Um, you, you're really talking about, um, you're right in that. I, th- I think you can see this reflected at, at the beginning when you're talking about kind of that uh, you, you expected a certain crowd, maybe more of a hipster crowd, to be the ones to be attracted to this type of church. Um, and you see that so much in foodie culture too, right? On Pinterest and on um, just the world in general, there's kind of this uh, energy around food, but some of that energy can be very um, tailored for a specific crowd. So it becomes something that's almost sort of exclusive or something that is only accessible to people of certain economic backgrounds or of certain races. Um, And it's pretty amazing that instead what came out of those dinners, and I I sensed this when I was there, I mean, the the potlucks, people are are bringing foods of so many different types and there's something so grounded about it. People bring what they can bring or what's important to them. Um, And there's just this beautiful mixture um it's not always you know really refined hipster chic food it's like real food it's a cheese tray from stop and shop or yeah and sometimes it's hot dogs and sometimes yeah, it's pepperoni pepperoni exactly. plates and yeah right. it's, it's kind of weird like you never know what people yeah, are gonna bring yeah and and striking and beautiful and so not what i think what maybe what images might be conjured up when we say the word dinner church um, sure. It's something that feels so much more grounded and real. Um, and so you're talking about how that kind of represents the character and the nature of who shows up at the table, um, which brings people from so many different walks of life to have conversations together on one hand. And then on the other hand, you're talking about sort of these tailored churches and how mm-hmm. sometimes people can come together when they identify, you know, there's when there's one common a thread that's bringing them together to ha- to go into deep conversation. So it's really how sure. do we create spaces um, for people with commonalities, and then how do we also create spaces where people are coming from very different places to have those conversations that are really important to have. Um, and I just wonder, with 
that incredible work that needs to happen and so often is not happening, especially right now in our culture, what are like, that's real work and it's frustrating sometimes. And I just wonder what are some of the frustrations that have come up for you? Um, or, or what's the fullness of that experience? And, and for people who are interested in type, this type of work, um, yeah, what are some of the lessons you're learning or, or have learned um, about doing this sort of, of work and bringing people together? Sure. I mean, I think I'll start with a little story. I think our church has to be the only church where one of our foundational families started coming after I got into a argument with them on social media. Um, As most uh, arguments happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, where else do we argue in public other than <laughs> on social media? But um, I I made a post post-election and I, it, most of 2016 I, and like into 2017, most of my posts were political posts and most of them were just, you know, just spouting my anger at, at you know the, mm. the 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 way the um politics of the time had turned and um uh one person posted on my on my wall one of these times that I was just kind of like ranting and she said you know like one of the reasons why I really enjoyed following your Facebook before is because you always talked about how um, you were going to try and meet people who saw um, differently than you and, and try to understand the perspective. And all I see you doing is is arguing with people on Facebook mm. and, you know, why, like, you're you're being a hypocrite and that's why I'm never going to go to your church. And mm. uh, and I was like, dang, like, she, she was right, man. Like, she was mm. right. I wasn't really trying to make an effort to understand people's pain or where they were coming from. And um, and I, I told her so. I was like, yeah, you know, you're, you're, you're right. Let's like meet and talk about it. And, um, you know, she and her family, uh, you know, I, I can't tell you the number of times they let me know that they weren't ever going to come. And, mm-hmm. um, she started to come, um, just to kind of, I, I don't know, I think in the beginning almost just to kind of check it out and to like prove to herself that she didn't want to come. And then she started bringing her kids and then she let me know like, Oh, well, my husband's never going to come because he thinks that, you know, this is just a kind of like a surface level, like, like, I don't know, uh, progressive church and he's very conservative. And, and then, you know, he started coming and, you know, I, I baptized him the other day and their family, you know, is like fundamental to who we are and I love them to death. And, you know, we don't agree on everything. There's a lot of things that we do agree on, but you know, they're, they're my family and like, I would do anything for them. Like I would, you know, go to any length to help them out. And, um, I think that's the that's the the rub of it all is we get so um like segregated in our own little you know corners especially in churches like very rarely do churches have a lot of diversity or it's or it's kept really quiet like people aren't allowed to argue or disagree um hash things out and uh I think uh you know the fact that that relationship started with the the messiness kind of <laughs> like out of the gate kind of gave us some permission to get real with each other. And I think that that has bled off into the church um, now where people are just having really open and honest conversations. And we've grown so much closer in the past year. Mm. Um, I think that the church has made a real turn um, towards depth in the last year. But, um, you know, for the, for the other thing about, you know, like 
the idea of like boutique churches, like churches that aren't for everybody and own that and do what they do well. I mean, what I would say is I, I think that every church is actually a boutique church. So churches that don't realize they're a boutique church and say that they're for everyone are usually for a very specific group of people. And yeah. you can tell when you go there who that group of people is because most churches are over or under a certain age, um, have like a really um, set racial demographic, a really set yeah. socioeconomic demographic. Um, and, you know, they say we welcome everyone, but do they really, you know? Mm. So I think it's just being honest about, you know, like this is the group of people that we're trying to reach. Um, and we're going to do what we do and we're going to do it well. And we're going to do it in a way that hopefully enriches their spiritual lives and draws them closer to God and closer to one another. And, um, you know, that's, that's what really gets me excited. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think one of the things I love about Simple Church is that there's a huge opportunity for you to meet someone completely different from you. Mm -hmm. And I know that in a lot of progressive circles, um, not everyone is welcome to the table if we're being completely honest. And so having a space where everyone is welcome provides an opportunity to truly encounter other um, and encounter ways of being present with other people that goes deeper than just a Facebook argument, for example. Um, so that's huge. And, and it's one of the opportunities that I think uh, we have in terms of offering dinner church. So in terms of people that, that would be interested in starting this um, style of ministry, maybe thinking about dinner church or this, this style of work more broadly, how can they get involved? Um, or how are people already getting involved? What sort of resources are available? Um, and definitely give us a reading list. Like, totally. who are you reading? Why is that inspirational to you? Um, and is there an opportunity for ecumenical or even interfaith dinner gatherings that you've seen or heard of? Yeah, girl. All right. So um, last year we started our Simple Church Affiliate Network, um, which is designed specifically for um, churches or small groups or just really anybody um, that wants to start a dinner church. We want to help you. Um, and so you can go onto our website, simpleumc.org, go to the network page, or you can go directly to the URL dinner.church. And um, all of our resources are up there, all of our liturgies, all of our songs, all of our recipes, um, best practices, um, the contact info for both of our um, full-time pastors. And we want to talk to you about it. Um, we can help you get started. It's not rocket science to throw a dinner party. Like, anybody can do it. And it doesn't have to be huge. Like, you can do it with 10 people. You can do it with 40 people. Um, we tried to do it one time with, like, 300 people down in Texas. It, uh, it needs some tweaking still. But I think any size group, any size group can do dinner church. Um, and, you know, it's, it's meaningful. It's cheap. It's accessible. Um, it doesn't take a ton of prep. You don't need to own a big space. Um, all you need to do is like knock on some doors, invite people over, tell them to bring a potluck, and you know have some deep conversations that matter, and, and uh, pray for one another, and you, you you can have church. You know, in in the uh, um, second book of Acts or second chapter of Acts, um, the early church is described, and it says um, 
and they gathered in one another's homes over um, the sharing and breaking of bread and, and the saying of the prayers. And they had the goodwill of all people. God added to their number daily. And, uh, you know, it didn't say they built a building and started meeting at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning and printing out a bulletin and, uh, you know, uh, doing all that good stuff. Mm-hmm for coffee hour and no, like, like they just met each other's homes and had dinner. Like, like, like I don't think we need to complicate things too much. We can keep it, keep it simple, but yeah, ecumenical, um, lay led, pastor led, um, you know, do it for kids, do it for older folks, do it for whoever. Yeah. Anybody can do it. Hmm. And you mentioned, too, people coming even across faith traditions or who might identify as spiritual but not religious or naturalist or, um, yeah, do you think it holds the capacity for those sorts of, of meetings and gatherings as well? Um, oh, yeah. It keeps it spicy. Christian tradition. Keeps it spicy. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. Like, if you um, if you hang out with people who agree with you a little too much, then um, you don't realize that about 70% of the things you say are things that everybody's always said and have said in the mm-hmm. exact same way. And then... Um, when you throw someone else in the mix that doesn't speak the jargon, you know, they'll say, Hey, what do you mean Jesus died for my sins? Mm-hmm. Or like, what are, you, what are you talking about eating the body of Christ? Like, like, what, what are you, what are you talking about when you say that Jesus, like, you know, like, m- like made the death of death? Like, what, you know, like we have all these things that we say, we don't even really think about what do you mean by God's grace? But someone who hasn't heard it or who just doesn't have that, um, you know, lingo kind of on the tip of their tongue they can force you to dig deep in those things and like really, really get down to what, what, what do you really think? Um, you know, what does that really mean to you? Absolutely. And, and vice versa too. Right. When we're the ones. Yeah. 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 When we get to ask the questions. Totally. Opening up new, yeah. New windows. Um, Zach, I imagine that being a pastor maybe is a lot of work and I'm wondering, um, you know, there's a lot about pastor burnout, um, and I wonder what that looks like in your day to day. Aside from the yield of the ministry that you're doing, what is it that you're finding to sustain you, and what keeps you going um, when you when you're kind of pushing all of these? You're you're making a new pathway. You're making a new road in Grafton, mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, that that takes a lot, and you're also constantly creating new things. I mean, even pancake breakfast—that was a response to something that raised up. And so, your community, I feel like, is very open to change, which can be energizing and maybe taxing. And so, what is it that keeps you going? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the key to um, creativity is making spaces for boredom. And um, like, if you were to look at my schedule, it's it's actually pretty. Uh, pretty empty. Uh, like I try not to fill my days. I try to like at least like have some time when I'm staring at a wall and not doing anything every single day. And uh, I think, you know, especially for pastors or people who have like, you know, uh, charge of their own schedule, I think we have a tendency to try and fill, fill our, our schedule with too much stuff. And I think the, the key to creativity is more time for spiritual disciplines, exercise, getting out in the sun, putting your hands in the dirt, planting seeds, literally, pulling weeds, literally, and uh, plenty of naps, hanging out with your family and friends, eating good food, 
like it, it's I get to throw a dinner party for a living, so it hardly feels like work. Um, but you know, there are there are hard days, and um, I think that the key to those is by building in rhythms of rest and study, and you know, just hanging out and not apologizing for it. Um, taking two full days off a week, um, which is a practice I think that everybody should do. And uh, yeah, just not taking it too seriously. And I think that's the the key. I think we can get in our own heads about things a little too much. But um, just trust that God called us to um, be human beings, not human doings. Ah, So good. And one of the things that has really stood out to me um, is you've provided a rhythm. When Chloe and I were working with you, we would meet daily and have daily prayers. And I think that was just a really beautiful thing to have during the summer as opposed to during the school year when both Chloe and I are are either working full-time and trying to go to school full-time. Um, it's just a very chaotic uh, world that we live in. And I remember you said something about a, a three-part rhythm to your 24-hour day um, where you have eight hours broken up for various things. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that came out of the labor movement, but... Um... You know, part of the reason why I tell pastors if they don't take a day off, they're really, well, apart from uh, breaking one of the Big Ten, um, they're also really stomping on the people who fought and bled and died in the labor movement who fought for them to have a weekend and they're not using it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Take a day off. Everybody, everybody should take a day off. Um, and uh, But the one of the mantras of the labor movement that I found one day was uh, eight hours for work, eight hours for sleep, and eight hours for whatever you will. Is there one specific moment that sort of stands out to you of like this glistening piece of heaven that you want to share with us as we close tonight? Um, I think uh, one, one week I, uh, I put something in the middle of the room um, the way that we have our table set up is like kind of in a square around the room. And um, I put up a, a lectern in the middle to hold my sermon notes. And uh, my uh, my daughter, one of our awesome church kids, she came in the room as I was like getting set up. And she just stopped dead and stared at that, that lectern. And she just gasped, just, <gasps> and she looked at me and she goes, Daddy, what is that? And I said, well, it's the lectern. I'm going to use it to preach later. And she goes, um, but that's where I dance. <laughs> and uh, yeah, man, we, we dance every week at Simple Church. And, uh, yes, you do. <laughs> I, moved that, I moved that lectern. And yeah, man, that's that's the center of it all is just joy. You know, it's wow. just, you, you know like, you know, we should dance a little more and uh, maybe mm. preach a little less. Hmm. <laughs> Zach, we've covered so much tonight. Um, and I just want to thank you for the work that you're doing, um, the transformative work you're doing, and for taking the time to, to talk a little bit about it and to share um, your heart and your passion with us and with our, with our listeners as well. Um, so again, thank you so much for joining us, Zach, and thank you to you, our listeners, for joining us at the table. Uh, for more information about Simple Church, please vit- visit their website, at simpleumc.org. And until next time, we are fully yours. 
Huge thanks to Steve Dry and Catalyst of Harvard Epworth United Methodist Church, based in Cambridge, Massachusetts, for their generous grant funding of this podcast, Fully Yours. Shout out to the talented Joel Adams and Melody Stanford for producing the original song featured in this podcast, and to our dream team for keeping us grounded and inspired. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.